0: So, welcome to the Spaceport America podcast with me, Alice Carruth, Public Relations Coordinator for the New Mexico Spaceport Authority. I'm very excited to welcome Wayne Monteith today, who is the FAA Associate Administrator for Commercial Transportation. Welcome, Wayne.
1: Thanks, Alice. Really great to be here with you today. Wish I could be there in person,
0: though. Oh, I wish you could be here as well. I'd like to start with talking about what it is the FAA does and what your role is within the FAA.
1: Well, you know, uh, great question, and it's one I get asked frequently, you know, why is the FAA involved in, in space, and in particular, commercial space transportation? Uh, but uh, it, it's really a natural offshoot uh, when, you, when you think about it. And so uh, uh, I fall under uh, Title 51 of the U.S. Code, uh, and I have really a, a dual mandate. Uh, number one, uh, protection of public health and safety during an inherently dangerous uh, endeavor, uh, also protecting national security and foreign policy interests of the United States under commercial space transportation. Uh, and finally, what is unique to my organization uh, that is not part of the rest of the FAA is that I'm also tasked with encouraging, facilitating, and promoting the U.S. space industry. Uh, and, and so we regulate... All U.S. space launch companies, whether they launch from the United States or anywhere in the world,
0: can you tell us a little bit about the AST?
1: Uh, I sure can. So, so AST actually uh, stands for uh, it's it's our short uh, uh, shorthand uh, for the uh, FAA's Office of Commercial Space Transportation, uh, and really our genesis began in in 1982. Uh, with the launch of the first commercial launch, which was Conestoga One, and actually a company that was started, one of the co-founders was uh, former uh, astronaut, Deke Slayton. Uh, and what they learned in 1982 was the hardest part about launching the rocket was getting permission to launch. And so there was no construct, uh, regulatory or otherwise, they didn't even know who they needed to talk to. Uh, and, and oddly enough, they even had to coordinate with the Bureau of uh, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms uh, because they were launching a rocket which had explosive capability. And so out of that kind of mess uh, of trying to get permission to fly, uh, Congress stood up, uh, my office, uh, uh, originally under the Department of Transportation in 1984. Uh, and then uh, we, we licensed our first launch in 1989. So just five years later, first commercial launch. And in 1995, my office moved from the Department of Transportation to the FAA. Uh, and, and primarily uh, that was because of the coordination and the work that needed to be done to launch through the airspace in the United States. So we've got to get, once you get safely off the ground, and let's say one foot, now we've got to get you safely through the airspace. So it just made sense to combine those organizations together.
0: So you talked about starting back in the 1980s, but I'm assuming it's got a lot busier in the last few years. Can you tell us a little bit about the role you have played in the first human uh, orbital flight from the U.S. back in 2020?
1: Well, I, I can, but I'm going I'm to do the uh, – uh, I'll riff off your first part of your, your question and, and what we've seen changing. So this month, I, I would expect this month, we'll hit our 400th licensed launch, FAA licensed launch. Interestingly, to get to number 300 took almost 30 years. From 300 to 400, we'll do in about two and a half years. So incredible change uh, in the cadence in the industry. Uh, And and if you look back just a decade ago in 2011, we only licensed one launch, one launch all year. Uh, In in 2016, we licensed 11. So we went from launching one a year to uh, the middle of the decade to launching about one a month to this year we're probably going to hit an average of one per week. so incredible changes uh, in the industry when you, when you look at at cadence uh, and that is also uh, enabling uh, the uh, uh, commercial human spaceflight realm as well uh, because we have more reliable vehicles launching more often. Uh, to space, which means then your price point comes down, which then kind of opens it up, and so we've got uh, uh, you know Virgin Galactic, which launches uh, from Spaceport America, uh, on the on the precipice or verge of being able to uh, launch with paying passengers or what we call uh, human spaceflight participants, and, and I can talk a little bit what the the nuances there a little bit later, but then we also have companies like. Uh, SpaceX then are now taking uh, astronauts to space with NASA right now uh, on to orbit on an orbital regime. Uh, and we're involved in that. So last year, we saw two of those flights. Uh, uh, the first one was, was with Bob and Doug uh, when they went up, and that was NASA's final certification mission. And then we, uh, <laughs> excuse me, uh, licensed crew one. Uh, the four astronauts that went up to the station that actually just came back from the station recently as well, shortly after the Crew-2 launch, which the FAA licenses also.
0: So you, you talked a little bit about Virgin Galactic, who will be launching from Spaceport America. And we often say we are an FAA licensed commercial spaceport. What does that role really involve? What does it mean to be FAA licensed? And how will you be working with Virgin Galactic on that?
1: Uh, another great question so so first off, being a licensed spaceport makes you unique. Uh, there are only twelve in the entire nation, only twelve licensed FAA licensed spaceports in the entire country uh, and uh, making spaceport America even unique, you have the distinction of being the only spaceport licensed for both horizontal and vertical launch activities so only one you are the only one in the entire nation, uh, and actually uh, uh, I'm pretty sure you're the only one in the world uh, suitable for both horizontal and vertical uh, launch operations. And what the difference is, is Virgin Galactic's uh, launch concept or a concept is you take off from a runway, uh, in this case with a, a, a mothership or white knight two, and you have a spaceship underneath you, spaceship two, uh, and you go to altitude and then you drop it and it goes off to space. So that's a horizontal operation, different from vertical, which is you know think like the old Saturn V type model where you're shooting straight up. Uh, and again, Spaceport America very unique in that they're the only one licensed to do both, which is actually pretty cool. Uh, and so, what do we do? So from a from a spaceport perspective, uh, number one, uh, we work through a multi-year licensing process, uh, and the, the the bulk of the licensing. The process deals with two things, environmental and safety. Uh, and of course, and we both, we want to get both of those right. And environmental can be everything from how you impact, uh, you know, potentially hazardous materials and waste and construction uh, to uh, Spaceport America, the view shed, as we call it, the view to make sure that it's not obtrusive so we don't ruin uh, the view of that, that uh, just absolutely gorgeous landscape down there. And so we watch for that as well. And then once you get a license, we conduct inspections. We make sure that you're still being safe and we know you want to be safe. But it's our job as a regulator just to make sure that you continue to stay focused on safety and you continue to stay focused on the environment as well. And then finally, once you get a customer in there, like in this case, Virgin Galactic, now we work directly with, with that launch operator to make sure they're doing the same thing environmentally, they're safe and they're sound, and they're, they're uh, doing everything they're supposed to be doing, but also protecting the public as well in making sure that none of their operations uh, endanger or unduly endanger or risk uh, the general public.
0: That's a really great explanation. Could you let us know what the evolution is of your office and how do you interact with other federal agencies like NASA or the Department of uh, Space Commerce, for example?
1: So so we are part of what I call whole of government. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's an effort that uh, is critically important to the success of the industry uh, and our role in public safety. And so we work very, very closely with, particularly with the Department of Defense, the U.S. Space Force and the Air Force, uh, Department of Navy, as a matter of fact, uh, and NASA. Now, we also work with Department of Commerce and, and some of the other government agencies but the reason we work so closely with the Department of Defense and NASA uh, uh, primarily is because we're really in the launch business. And so, so it's, it's twofold. Number one, make sure we have common safety standards and safety requirements uh, so that companies don't, uh, uh, let's say, try to launch from, from Spaceport America, and then they wanna launch, let's say from Cape Canaveral, and they have to do a completely different set of safety requirements. So by having one standard, one common group of safety requirements, it's a lot easier for these companies to move around and be successful in multiple locations. The second thing that we wanna do is make sure that we don't have unnecessary duplicative government requirements. And, and the way I would uh, describe this, is uh, at one time until recently, if you were launching from Cape Canaveral, uh, you would have to, uh, as a launch company, you would have to abide by OSHA standards, uh, safety and health standards. You would have to abide by Air Force ground safety standards, and then you would have to abide by FAA ground safety standards. All of them were very similar and in some cases identical, but you still had to go through all three. It doesn't make any sense. At the end of the day, we just want you to be safe. So by eliminating the duplicative parts of those, as a launch company, it saves you money, saves you time. And as a regulator, it saves us time. that We don't have to go and look over the shoulder, say, of the Air Force or now the Space Force and make sure that you're actually being safe in ground operations. So really uh, a symbiotic relationship as we work, work through uh, all of these different uh, regulatory constructs to make sure that you can launch safely and you can launch freely.
0: So you were the commander of the 45th wing and director of the Eastern range of the Space Coast over in Florida. What has your experience running the busiest spaceport taught you about the role of spaceports and the future of commercial aerospace, particularly a commercial spaceport like Spaceport America?
1: Well, well first off, I'll tell you as a, as a little boy at heart, uh, there was no better job to have uh, than, than running a spaceport uh, you, because you're launching rockets. And, and I got to see the evolution of what our industry is going through now while I was there at, at Cape Canaveral. And we went from launching on average about every six weeks to, or uh, historical average about every six weeks to being able to launch multiple times in a single week. And so in my, my three years there, I was actually responsible for 66 launches. Over the course of, of three years, and each one is is while similar, each one is unique. Each one is exciting. Uh, we also had twenty three booster landings, uh, and and I'll tell you my uh, uh, my best launch was what we we dubbed the launch of Turtle One, and that was actually releasing uh, a injured uh, green sea turtle back into the ocean. Uh, which, which gets me to why the environmental part of all this is critical as well, because there's no point in going off world if there's nothing to come back to. And so all of these play in together. Now, as I look at uh, spaceports in general, uh, number one, I think they're vital. Number two, I think they're part of our uh, critical national infrastructure. Uh, we've got to be able to get to space. We've got to be able to get safely to space and back from space. Uh, and, and what I would say is, as when I look to the future uh, and where I see this industry going, I see that we need more. And so, like I said, we have 12 licensed spaceports. Only five are actually operating right now. Uh, when I look in my crystal ball, I think we're going to need more spaceports. But most importantly, we've got to take care of the spaceports that we have today. Those are the foundation of anywhere that we continue to go uh, in this uh, uh, endeavor. And as the spaceports themselves, uh, you've got to have a great place to launch from, which you do in New Mexico. Uh, but you also have to have the right people. Uh, you've got to have a right, the right cadre of folks, everything from, quite frankly, engineers to marketing. You've got to be able to, uh, A, do the engineering part, which is the safety analysis, uh, and, and making sure that you've got the, the, you know the right... Uh, commodities or what we call the fuel for the rockets, and you do that safely. But you also have to do the marketing part well uh, because you're actually trying to capture a global market. Uh, And so all of this plays in together so that we continue with the the United States' global leadership in this transportation sector. So, you know, I see spaceports as being part of our national critical infrastructure. And New Mexico is great because you have tremendous support from your state elected officials as well, uh, to to help you uh, maintain your unique capabilities and things.
0: Going back to your experience, what do you see as the future of human spaceflight from US and across the globe?
1: Uh, first off, uh, once the business model is proven, and so and, and that's with any endeavor. And so one of the, the the coolest things about what Virgin Galactic is doing now they're doing uh, what what you know they're doing some science. They're doing some what some folks would call space tourism, but I think that's just the beginning. Once you can demonstrate that that there is a viable business concern there, the next logical step is destination to destination travel, or what some refer to as point to point travel, and that really opens up the aperture for for what you can do and and who's coming into the industry. And so if you could get say from Los Cruces to Sydney, Australia. In an hour to an hour and a half, boy, I think that that just completely changes the dynamic of the business environment, and it also, what what companies like Virgin Galactic are doing, they're opening up the magic, uh, in the majesty of space, to the rest of us, uh, so that we can actually experience what what previously has really been the realm of professional government astronauts, and that is just super cool. Now. Um, when you have companies like Virgin Galactic are doing such a tremendous job and, and because they're a publicly traded company now, they, they uh, have to follow with the Security Exchange Commission on where they think they're going. And, you know, from the, the documentation I've seen so far, Virgin Galactic alone is looking to be able to do well north of 200 flights a year. Wow. You talk about big business and, and you talk about a big boom to southern New Mexico. You know, so you get all this excitement and, and what that excitement drives is not just, uh, you know, opportunity for in, investors and opportunity for folks like you and me to fly, but it also lays the foundation for, for the future of our workforce, you know, STEM activities. And, and it's, it's one thing to watch a, a launch on television. It's quite another to, to be there in person when you see this. And that's how you, you hook, you know, our, 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 uh, our, our youth in elementary school, in intermediate school, or middle school—I uh, think they call it here—to uh, high school, uh, to college, and you get them hooked into this and going. Engineering is hard, but it's cool, and the opportunities are fantastic. And and if you thought about it, you know, I I uh, way back in high school, uh, I was a private pilot, and I loved aviation. But if I had a choice between bring being uh, a, a private pilot or an airline pilot, and being a rocket pilot, I can tell you which one I would choose, hands down.
0: This brings me to our next question. How did you get involved in aerospace?
1: Well, mine was kind of a long, meandering journey. But like I said, the first part was aviation. So when I grew up in Hawaii, and and I lived at Hickam Air Force Base, and, and they had a runway down there, and you could actually, from the base, you could go to the end of the runway, you could sit and you could watch planes taking off and landing. Everything from the big jumbo jets uh, to F-4 Phantoms that were flying air defense. Uh, and and I just fascinated. So as soon as I was eligible, my best friend and I, uh, his father uh, took us through flight school, uh, ground school and in-flight training. We both got our pilot's licenses. I went off in one direction, he went off in another flying for the Air Force. Unfortunately, my eyes weren't weren't good enough. Uh, to, uh, to be an Air Force pilot, uh, and so while I was in college, though, I, I was really uh, super uh, excited about doing math and, and physics, uh, but after a couple of years, I realized, and I went to University of New Mexico, and so, but after a couple of years, I realized that I was probably not going to uh, make enough to raise a family uh, without a PhD uh, in physics or mathematics, Uh, And so then I kind of shifted over to computer science uh, and then eventually went into ROTC. And what they really needed was was uh, 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 a career field that wasn't computer science or or physics at that point to get to what I wanted to do, which was operations. And so I I quickly shifted uh, and figured out a degree I could I could have finished in two years, which was geography uh, and did my uh, my focus was on. remote sensing and climatology. And so I thought I would actually build satellites uh, for the air force when I came in. Uh, instead though, I ended up in the operational world and started in the, the missile business early and eventually transitioned into the rocket business uh, and uh, have not regretted a single choice on that journey. So I've actually been in the space business for about 30 years now uh, and uh over three decades now of that 29 years was in the Air Force and and I chose the Air Force because I come from a family of, of Air Force veterans uh, and uh, I, I I love it. I love what I do today. Uh, I retired from the Air Force in December of 2019 or December of 2018 rather and I started with the FAA just six weeks later. Uh, no, I know I expected to stay retired for at least a year but this job was perfect uh, for for my skill
0: set and it keeps me
1: in the rocket business.
0: Thank you so much for your service. It's really lovely to hear that you've gone in a slightly different direction to a lot of people that start off as engineers and get into aerospace. So It's nice to be able to showcase a different pathway in. Can I go back a little bit to your time in New Mexico? Could you tell us a little bit uh, what it was like being at UNM, and being a Lobo?
1: Uh, I can, first off, I'll tell you, it was a great experience and uh, uh, the uh, probably the top takeaway I mean I have to be careful how I say this uh, from my time at UNM uh, is I met my bride and and so we are we are just getting ready to celebrate our fortieth anniversary coming up here and so uh, for me UNm is absolutely a special place uh, and I still have family uh, actually my my mother and my siblings uh, uh, moved from Hawaii. Uh, went uh, to New Mexico because so they came out for my wedding and loved it uh, or fell in love with it and, and moved to New Mexico. So New Mexico is a special place in my heart. And, and my wife was actually born in Santa Fe. And so uh, uh, New Mexico may be one of those places or it is certainly on our short list for where we're going to retire. But UNM was a great school. Uh, a tremendous engineering school, tremendous business school, tremendous medical school, uh, and, and so I have exceptionally fond memories of my time at UNM, uh, and I can tell you I have dear friends uh, who are Aggies uh, as well. So the educational institutions in New Mexico are just top notch, uh, and and I think you can you can see that uh, if by nothing else from from uh, uh, space the Spaceport America Cup competitions. I think the last in person one you had was in 2019. Uh, with, I want to say, 150 or so different organizations represented. Uh, and I can tell you, two of the top 10 teams were from New Mexico. Uh, number four was UNM, and number five was, or number six, rather, was uh, was New Mexico State. I think they're the Astro Aggies or the... Atomic Aggies. The Atomic, sorry, the Atomic <laughs> Aggies. So uh, tremendous representation, and I think speaks a lot uh, to the, to the uh, engineering uh, or the capability of the engineering schools at, at both of those fine universities.
0: Yeah, we're really proud of both of them being part of the Spaceport America Cup. And we actually created a cup for, just for the, the local universities to compete in called the Chili Cup. And we're really proud that the Lobos won in 2019. Um, what, going to the Spaceport America Cup, what do you think the, the importance is of having competitions like that and accessibility to students?
1: Uh, again, I would take it back to, to what I talked about and actually being able to see a rocket launch. Uh, uh, you probably would not be shocked at the number of folks in my organization who started out with SD's rockets, to include me. You know, the, the little ones, and, and quite frankly, I've done it with my grandkids. You know, let's take out and let's launch rockets and show you how it worked. And when I was the commander of the 45th Space Wing down in Florida, we did that as well with the local uh, local elementary schools. And I would go out there and serve as the launch director, so kind of reenacting my role on console as the final thumbs up, thumbs down, go/no go no-go authority. And we do it for these kids launching rockets, but you get them excited, and so you you start out, uh, uh, you know, at that level with these little these little uh, Estes rockets that'll go a few hundred feet, and then you get up to the America's Cup or the Spaceport America Cup where you're launching them up to thirty thousand feet. Wow! And and so. As you can imagine, that's a little bit bigger rocket, but it's amazing uh, how excited folks get about that Uh, and how excited they get, uh, not only about just seeing their rocket fly, but being able to talk to other folks, uh, other enthusiasts. And then, of course, you have the competitive part as well. Uh, And I'm glad to see that UNM won the Chili Cup. Uh, You know, there's always a little friendly competition and it doesn't always have to center around uh, football and basketball uh so you know it it, it, which was always a big event uh, particularly on the basketball side but but i think it's a tremendous avenue uh particularly if you're not really sure what you want to do you know if you're going through whether it's high school or college you know you're not sure you want to get into this because as i mentioned up front engineering is hard uh it just is um but i can tell you you know in my organization you know we've got uh, mechanical engineers. I got computer scientists, computer engineers, chemical engineers, electrical engineers. Uh, I've got th- some of the other uh, core competencies. Like I said, mine is geography. I've got political scientists. Uh, I've got folks with business degrees uh, in our organization. About half of my folks have masters. Uh, and I even have uh, just over 5% of my team have their PhDs. Uh, but what's most exciting for me when I look at the future is this year we're bringing in uh, six uh, fresh outs, uh, uh, folks who are just now graduating from college. We've got our first two arrived, and we've got four more on the way. And so we're going to bring them right in. We also have intern programs. And uh, one of the and, and, and sometimes folks look at internships and go, oh, you know, I'm not really sure. But I can tell you what. Uh, we do have one, what I would call a famous intern that came through my office. And that is Gwen Shotwell, the chief operating officer of SpaceX. Uh, Probably the most recognized, uh, uh, not only one of the most recognized uh, space entrepreneurs, but certainly uh, female space entrepreneurs. But Gwen Shotwell was an intern in the Office of Commercial Space Transportation when she was first getting started. So it's really cool uh, and, and uh, events like the uh, Spaceport America Cup just feed right into that and that excitement.
0: I love that story. I think that's a really cool one to be able to say that, you, that she's been through your office. What advice would you give to people that are looking to start their careers in aerospace, given you come from a slightly different background to most that go through university engineering and, and that way through?
1: Uh, probably the, the uh, uh, best piece of advice I could give uh, is work hard and stay flexible. Uh, there are if you were to look across my organization, I'd be willing to bet there. No two of us have the same path to get to where we are um and so so flexibility comes in a couple couple different ways number one you know don't don't believe that there's a single path to success the other thing that i would say on the flexibility part don't just set your sights on that if you want to come into this endeavor that you can only go to work for private industry um one of the things that when when i start talking about opportunities in my organization i can't compete uh with some of the sexiness of Private industry. I certainly can't compete with the sexiness of NASA, uh, and I can't compete with the money, uh, mostly on the private industry side. But what our organization can provide that no one else can is a, a, uh, a full-spectrum view of the entire industry, and not just from the rocket side, but also from the satellite and the payload side, and now from the human spaceflight side. So even if you were to work with us for one year, two years, five years, ten years – you are so much better positioned to go out to industry uh, and make a far, far bigger contribution uh, and be rewarded for your contribution uh, for the time that that you spend with us uh, and the hard work, of course, and uh, which goes with any endeavor, but particularly with engineering. Uh, it, it, it's just not easy, and so you got to stick to it. Uh, and all it takes is work. You know, I used to tell folks that that my goal was to at least appear to be the smartest person in the room. And it wasn't because I was the smartest person, it was because I studied and I prepared uh, to make sure that I, I knew what was going on around me. And it's just those things take work and you, you can't take it for granted that you're just gonna get a trophy for showing up. Uh, it's actually competitive. Uh, you know, When we have a job opening, I might have five to 10 applicants for a single opening. And so you, you gotta be prepared, you gotta work hard. Uh, and you got to be flexible. And my, uh, my helpers, you can probably hear them in the background. Uh, I have uh, uh, two rambunctious chihuahuas uh, that are supervising me today. And so hopefully they're not too distracted.
0: Not at all. We're all in this work from home situation, which is why the Spaceport America Cup is virtual this year. So we completely appreciate your time today, Wayne. And thank you so much for everything you're doing. And hopefully we can invite you back to the Spaceport America Cup in the future and you can come back down to New Mexico and see what we've got going on for ourselves.
1: I would I would absolutely love to, Alice. I I appreciate that because uh, I'll be honest with you. There is no finer green chili in the world than Hatch. Uh, absolutely. As practice, my wife and I, both being Lobos, uh, our alumni association actually ships uh, Hatch green, green Chili out to the Washington, D.C. area. So we get our, uh, our uh, bushel uh, every year and freeze it so that we can have fresh Hatch Green Chili uh, all year long. And so <laughs> we, we absolutely miss it. And so now I've got to learn more about the chili topics.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, do come back and we'll make sure that all the students get the opportunity to try some hatch green chili as well when they come to the Spaceport America Cup in 2022. Thank you so much, Wayne.
1: Thanks, Allison. And again, thank you so much for for having me on and giving me the opportunity today.
0: We really appreciate it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Proudly produced by lascrucestoday.com and
1: Bravo My Communications.